<laughs> Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It's my, uh, it's my honor to welcome uh, a dear friend who is also an important person. And the importance of uh, Imam Abdullah is uh, seen in a few ways. And hopefully after the, uh, the conclusion of this short conversation that we're going to have, that you'll have an understanding on why his presence here uh, speaks of such important things. Um, so first I want to uh, begin by introducing the Imam a little bit. Uh, he is uh, head of Muslim affairs at Duke University. Uh, he's a chaplain there. Simultaneously, he's also uh, co-chair of the Hartman Institute's uh, Muslim Leadership Initiative. The Hartman Institute, as many of you, there's lots of Montrealers here, so you remember David Hartman. Uh, the Muslim, um, excuse me, the Hartman Institute is based in Jerusalem, and amongst many, many programs that they do, uh, they have a Muslim leadership initiative with the assistance and support of uh, Imam Abdullah. Um, how large was the cohort in the past year? We're fixing his microphone issue now. We got it fixed. So um, there's a, there's a cohort of, as we said before, about uh, 25, and now uh, it's already been running a few years. So there's well over a hundred uh, Muslim leaders, and we're talking about educators and imams uh, who have been brought to Israel for two times over the course of a year, each for three weeks, to learn about Israel, Zionism, and Judaism. Which, when you think about it, how many rabbis have gone to an Arab country to learn about Islam? I know we laugh a little bit, but none. Imam Abdullah has been the target of death threats. Him being here in this morning is complicated. Because there are people in his community who view him as a traitor, I'm going to use a pejorative term for it, as an Uncle Tom, as a person who represents uh, the very worst elements of what it means to figure out how to live in a country that's not your own by birth. And he has been subject to death threats. There has been an FBI patrol car that at times has been parked in front of his home because both he and his family have been subject to serious threats against their life. So I want you to appreciate that his presence here is important. And not only is it important that these are things that you believe, Abdullah, but he believes them to the point that he's willing to risk everything. And that's important. So I promised that I would begin with a small icebreaker. I have five words that we're going to have an immediate association with. You ready? So you tell me what comes to mind when I hear these words. You can, of course, do a small reading. Thank you for this very kind introduction, Rabbi Aaron. My dear friend, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It is absolutely a pleasure and honor to be with you, daven with you in the presence of Shabbat. And congratulations to Bar Mitzvah and Bat Mitzvah uh, individuals, boys and girls. Uh, may you be a remarkable member of the Jewish world. 
and may you be even a better ambassador of the Judaism, Jewish people into many different communities, become a healer and uniter, especially to the Muslim community, inshallah. Glad to be here. So, okay, so, absolutely. Okay, so the, uh, the first things that come to mind when you hear these words, Canada. <clears throat> Lovely people. Uh, bagels. Jews. <laughs> Donald Trump. Oi way. <laughs> Muslims. My people. Israel. Complicated. Mm. So I wanted to ask. We didn't you, rehearse this. No, this wasn't rehearsed. Just by let the me way. Know. This wasn't rehearsed. I wanted to ask you. When did you get involved in the um, in Muslim Jewish relationships? My introduction to the world of Judaism and Jews, unfortunately, through very regretful, heart-aching, ultimately, Almighty Hashem created many blessings as a result of it, eventually. But uh, my introduction to the world of Judaism, Jews, Zionism, and Israel, like many Muslims today, unfortunately, through Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and by using that conflict, very common spread of anti-Semitism in the Muslim-majority countries. I grew up in the southeastern part of Turkey, near Syrian border. I cannot emphasize enough, it wasn't religious, but the very nationalist, secular home and the secular education that I have received very early on poisoned me with incredibly sophisticated propaganda uh, about anti-Semitism. So my first introduction was unfortunately and regretfully through hate. The first book I read about Jews and Judaism was the children's version of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion at the age of 12. And the second book was Henry Ford's International Jew. And then, of course, the third book was Mein Kampf. So my introduction was an intense hate, intense blame, uh, because that propaganda gives, the way this successful propaganda works is, it gives very simplistic answer to very complicated world and unfortunately, in Muslim-majority countries and societies, there are so many complicated issues. So all the miseries and failures and the devastations and the uh, death and destruction in the Muslim community, that propaganda says, these people are behind it. How difficult, well, let me ask you this question first. How prevalent do you think and how serious is the problem of anti-Semitism in the larger Muslim world? It's an interestingly mixed and very complicated reality because anti-Semitism, as I see it, is a broad spectrum. People who become violent, who become incredibly radical as a result of anti-Semitism may be small, but they come from a much larger pool of people who are exposed to Judaism, Zionism, and Israel through very inaccurate, false, biased, bigoted, hateful information. So that pool is large, and the despicable part of the small uh, portion is unfortunately regretfully very growing. The Muslim anti-Semitism, as we say in the Muslim tradition, Baruch Hashem, still it's not as bad as Christian anti-Semitism. Because Christian anti-Semitism in the last 2,000 years, again Baruch Hashem, in the last 100 years, Christian anti-Semitism has been mostly defeated, controlled. It didn't completely disappear, but 
compared to where we were in 1920s vis-à-vis -vis Christian anti-Semitism, where we are, it's a major source of celebration. It's an incredible success story how Jews and Christians in the 20th century, after despicable Holocaust, was able to reconcile and contain Christian anti-Semitism. But you have to understand, Christian anti-Semitism was coming from the core story of Christianity. It was the center and the symbol of Christianity. What is the symbol of Christianity? Well, it's the crucifixion of yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus on the cross. Something so core and central to Christian theology, in some ways subtle, in some other ways very explicitly, pumped anti-Semitism throughout the two millenniums. Muslim anti-Semitism, it exists in the, in the tradition of Islam. There are verses in the Quran and the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, but it never moved to the center. It never became the central core theology of Islam. It was always in the periphery, and it's often pushed to the center when Jews and Muslims are having problems, when Jews and Muslims are having ep episodic political problems. And regretfully, for the last 60, 70, 80 years, Jews and Muslims, we are having incredible amount of problems. Nowhere in the world Jews and Muslims are locking arms and singing Hina Matovu Manayim these days. And as this political conflict divides us, polarizes us, some of these peripheral, far pieces of theology is moving to the center. It's becoming more and more, this political problem conflict, gaining religious currency, it's affecting the religious uh, imagination. You ask a simple question, but the answer is not simple at all. The bias is uh, incredibly common. The, the negativity is incredibly common. The, the, and usually, if, if people were, like, if all you hear about Islam and Muslims is through uh, Islamophobic uh, resources, of course you will be very vulnerable towards further hate, further bias, etc. So many Muslims unfortunately understand Judaism as religion, Jews as people, Zionism as an ideology, and Israel as a secular nation state through the lenses of Palestinian suffering and Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And therefore, many people are very commonly very vulnerable and many people are uh, increasingly uh, getting corrupted in their hearts and minds about, uh, with, the, with the destructive hands of anti-Semitism. The idea of the differences, Jews, of course, we don't see this, that there are different shades of anti-Semitism, that there's an anti-Semitism that is theologically based, which would be Christianity. And then there is a anti-Semitism that is fomented and created as, as a result of historical and political forces, mostly. Mm -hmm. But I want to move to another idea. And the idea of why you're here and how you could be here. In other words, you grew up in a place where there was anti-Semitic propaganda where there was the fomenting of positions and opinions that were uh, poor about Jews. You read all of the fabrications, Mein Kampf, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. I am certain that on state television and on radio that there was this constant kind of reverberation of anti-Semitic tomes over and over again. So if I can put it bluntly to you, Abdullah, how were you converted? In other words, what makes you a faithful, believing, committed Muslim in every way, able to come to a synagogue on a Shabbat morning and engage in this open dialogue? What happened? Two things saved me. God of mercy, God of compassion. It didn't allow to live with that kind of poison in myself. 
I cannot underscore how bad my direction was. The number of Israeli flags that I have burned in those activist days of mine, with a sense of really something is irredeemably evil about Judaism as religion and Jews as people. It wasn't a, like a mild bias. But Baruch Hashem, two things saved me. One, I became very religious. Unlike my family, my environment, I was attracted to Islam. It was a fascination. I became from and from, from, from. I became extremely religious. And the attraction to Islam led me to go to, because my parents were not religious, and they didn't teach me anything about Islam, I went to a yeshiva, a mainstream Muslim madrasa, to become, not to become an imam initially, just I wanted to devour Islam. I wanted to learn more about Quran. I wanted to learn more about Muhammad and his teachings. Peace be upon him. And the, the madrasa that I attended wasn't trying to make me love Jews. But they were teaching mainstream Muslim theology, mainstream core theology of Islam, and the love and the compassion. Uh, but gradually, I couldn't reconcile Islam that I was learning and the hate that I have swallowed. That slowed me down in the highway of hate. But what ultimately led me to take the nearest exit and drive in the opposite direction was meeting with people like you. And I came to the United States and I met God-fearing, God-loving Jews. By then, I was avidly studying Tanakh, Judaism, Jewish philosophy, Kabbalah. Um, the knowledge is one thing, but ultimately what defeats hate, what cures you, uh, I, don't, I don't think I consider myself completely cured, because if you're exposed to hate early on, it's a lifelong struggle, as I, as I always define myself as a recovering anti-Semite. But what, what let me... What let me the if ultimate I can, decision... If I can just say, most Jews are too, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, your anti-Semites are a lot more complicated than mine. We will talk about it after lunch. Uh, they are making my life a lot more... Most of the threats and the opposition, not only coming from the Muslims, but also some, yes. some anti-Zionist Jews, anti-Israeli Jews as well. That's a, that's a separate story. So my interaction, I came to the United States after 9-11. I was holding a religious leadership for my community. And as I do this interfaith and cross-faith conversation with the Jewish community, I had very good teachers. They were very patient with me. They held my hand, and they were incredibly, incredibly successful in taking me to a whole different level. But one word about why I'm here is fear and joy. I am extremely fearful that the Jews and Muslims are heading into a collusion. I am extremely fearful that we increasingly, in many parts of the world, are seeing each other through the prism of Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and we increasingly treat each other as potential enemies, if not actual enemies in some parts of the world. And if we don't do what we are supposed to do, this inevitable destined collusion will be a deathly and destruction for all of our communities. No one wins this war. No one will come out and emerge as the, as the successful. There is a real fear that we are supposed to do better in slowing down hate in our communities and do whatever we can to reconcile Jewish-Muslim relationship. The joy is, I live in that part of the world, in North America, in Canada and the United States. Many of this is possible. The type of conversations and relationships that we can form, we can model and exemplify, it's not possible anywhere else. It's not possible in the Middle East, far from it. It's not possible in Europe. But in North America, the boats have not sailed yet. There is a beautiful, beautiful Psalms when God says Moses. The Psalms is also a holy text for us. We revere Psalms as Zabur in our tradition as well. 
God says to Moses, tell the children of Israel to collect me gifts. Tell the children of Israel to give me to the Hashem, to the divine gifts. What kind of gift would, gift would make Hashem smile? If you meet Bill Gates, what kind of present do you give it to him? To someone who has billions of dollars. What would make God joyful? And I think the reconciliation of Jewish-Christian relationship in the 20th century was an incredible gift to God. It's an incredible gift after millennium-long hate, death and destruction and pogroms and holocaust, where we are and that reconciliation story in one person's generation is one of the best gifts that children of Israel and the followers of Jesus could ever give to God Almighty. So not only I am fearful of potential what we are about to lose, but I'm incredibly joyful and attracted. What if in the 21st century we wrap up and create another gift by reconciling Jewish-Muslim relationship? What if we give and deliver another gift to God Almighty by bringing Jews and Muslims, glorifying God's name in partnership, in brotherhood and sisterhood? That's what I'm attracted to. That's why I'm here. I wanted to ask you because not only do you do you work in North America, but you go to Israel. Yes. And how do you understand Israel and Zionism? <clears throat> there are two Israel and there are two Zionisms. And I wish the Jewish community would have been better teachers in teaching this. There is an Israel and Zionism that was born out of Auschwitz. There is an Israel and Zionism that was born out of crisis. There is a Zionism and Israel that was born as a result of despicable, disgusting death and destruction during the Second World War. I took many Holocaust deniers to uh, concentration camps in Germany and in Poland, and it's been a very successful program. And uh, these people got a moral awakening where they were publicly denying Holocaust after seeing I still cannot my, wrap my mind around how in the heart of enlightened Europe, in Germany, this could ever happen. Holocaust is like, in many ways unique for two main reasons. One, the, the level of engineering, the level of genius preparation went to it. It's not like angry mobs and the army soldiers are doing some atrocities in the heat of the war. People really thought this through. They were so efficient. They were so incredibly well prepared. Uh, and uh, to my dismay and disgust to many people, it's amazing. They were so efficient in the last three years, as you, many of you know. They were able to turn any people into ashes less than three hours after they leave the trains, when they arrive to the camp. It's, it's mind-boggling how a human engineering and human efficiency and German efficiency can be put into. This is one. And second, the scale of destruction that the world Jewry lost one-third of its population. You know, if you apply the math into Christianity and Islam, for example, if Holocaust happened to us, that means like 600 million people, 700 million people will be dead in six years. This is unbelievable. So I learned to appreciate, I learned to appreciate that Israel and Zionism that was born from the ashes of this deepest, darkest, most despicable, morally corrupt chapter of human history. Initially, I wasn't. Because that's the only Zionism I knew. That's the only Israel I knew. And it felt Muslims, especially Palestinians, were imposed to pay the cost of what Europeans have done. 
because it felt this was another Judeo-Christian uh, crusaders into the world of Islam and Muslims, where Muslims had to pay the price for the incredible mistakes and the killing and the murder of the innocent Jews in, in Europe. That's how it felt. But I, over time, understood not only the story is a lot more complicated than Europeans are imposing things on us, but what made me really recover is the second Judaism, second Zionism, and second Israel, which was born out of Sinai. As a Zionism that most of my community do not know. The, if Israel is only was born out of Auschwitz and Zionism is born out of Auschwitz and Western Europe, it will be very difficult for many Muslims to understand, let alone appreciate. But there is another deep, as you have in the part of the davening, you said it many times, there is a Zionism and Israel that born out of Sinai. There is a deep scriptural, religious, spiritual, traditional connection to that part of the land. That place and the children of Israel's presence there is a project of a religious fulfillment that Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, is a story that has been told for the thousands of years and that religious observation, that religious fulfillment, that religious imagination it makes everything a lot more accessible, understandable. And to religious Muslims like myself, I consider myself as an Orthodox Muslim and most Muslims around the world, are those who are religious, they can connect to that biblical ticket that religious ticket to the children of Israel. So the homework, my friends, is my community, Muslims, we have to try to understand Zionism and Israel beyond the rhetoric and anti-Semitic propaganda of this is nothing but a Judeo-Christian crusaders into the land of Muslim world. We have to try to understand the complexities of what that Zionism and Israel meant out of Auschwitz. We have to really understand Holocaust better but more importantly, we have to develop appreciation, understanding, and respect for that Zionism and Israel that was born out of Sinai. And in that, we need a lot of help. We need teachers, conversation partners from the Jewish community. I wish they could do a better job. I know that we could sit here for an hour and continue talking, but we can. But I want to conclude with this, and there will be a lunch and learn with the imam after services. We have to be careful not only to point fingers in the direction of our Muslim brothers and sisters, because there are many people in the Muslim community that have the moral imagination of this wonderful man. I know because I spend a fair amount of my time going to places in Brampton and Mississauga and Scarborough and speaking in Muslim community centers. Early on in my rabbinic career, I was going to churches. I don't, they don't call me up anymore. We're already friends. They don't need to hear from me. And the reception that I get in these community centers and mosques is nothing short of the warmth and love that you have shown to the imam. And so what we need to do is the next time that a anti-Muslim or Islamic-phobic email arrives in your inbox, before you forward it around, ask yourself a question. Do you want to be the purveyor of that message? As much as the Muslim community faces its challenges in dealing with anti-Semitism and understanding the Jewish narrative of what it means to be a free people in our own homeland, that it's not an invasion of foreign land, but a fulfillment of our dream, a dream that we're prepared to share with other people. So too, we have to understand that there are many, many good people 
of extraordinary kind will and love on the other side. And we need to open our minds and our hearts to them as well. My friend Abdullah, I want to thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom.